it used to be, lady, you had no rights. No right to vote. No right to property. No right to the wage you earned. That was back when you were laced in, hemmed in, and left with not a whole lot to do. That was back when you had to sneak up to the attic if you wanted a cigarette. Smoke in front of a man? Heaven forbid. You come a long way, baby, to get where you've got to today. Introducing new Virginia Slims, the slim cigarette for women only, tailored for the feminine hand. As for me, there are certain things I'd much rather not do for myself. Take driving. I want my car to do most of the work for me. And that's just what my new Ford with optional power assist does. The women of America are making their choice for president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. I feel he's a very big man, which is needed for that position. As a woman and future homemaker and mother in America, the type of man that I want to be president is a man that I and my family and my children and those around me can look up to and respect. I think that President Eisenhower is that sort of man. So much of our future rests with the women of our country. The whole family unit revolves around them. Welcome back to Material World, where we check out all the stories behind the things you buy. We're your hosts. I'm Lindsay Rupp. I write about all the stores you'd find in a mall for Bloomberg News. And I'm Jenny Kaplan. I cover all the things you drink and smoke for Bloomberg. I'm still trying to wrap my head around those ads at the top of the show, Jenny. I mean, I can't believe people thought those were a good idea at the time. I know, but they're not just relics of an earlier, more sexist era. Companies are still struggling to figure out how to best market to women. Totally. Women make the majority of household purchasing decisions in the U.S., and as more women work outside of the home, they have additional money to spend. Lots of industries are realizing it might be a good idea to actually get their attention. So today we're taking a look at three industries using different techniques to woo the fairer sex. Beer, guns, and toys. For a long time, companies thought all you needed to do to cater to lady customers was to make your product prettier and smaller. From athletic clothes to razors, this was a one-size-fits-all solution. Shrink it and pink it. I've got one of the most entertaining examples of companies taking that technique literally. Bix Crystal for her ballpoint pens. We turned to a couple of our newsroom colleagues to help us get a sense of how customers reacted with the few Amazon reviews. These pens make me feel like a real woman. Not only can I write recipes and outfit ideas with absolute ease, they even let me know when I'm getting too ambitious. Like when I started to write a letter to my representatives in Congress about my unequal wages at work. But my pen quickly reminded me, I'm a woman. Silly me. My opinion won't matter to a congressman. Thanks, Bick. Four out of five stars. Someone has answered my gentle prayers. Since I began using these pens, men have found me more attractive and approachable. It's given me soft skin and manageable hair. Those smart men in marketing have come up with a pen that my lady parts can really identify with. Five out of five stars. These pens do not sparkle enough. I would write more, but I need to go make my husband a sandwich. One out of five stars. 
Thanks to BitCrystal for her, I now have cute pens that coordinate with my outfit. The only downside is, while the slender pen does fit my woman's hand, it's so skinny that I worry about looking fat in comparison. Four out of five stars. Can't say I ever thought of pens as being a particularly male-dominated field, but hey, I'm just a lady writer. What do I know? Beer, on the other hand, has very much been a boys' club. Big beer companies used to think of their key demographic as basically 21-plus-year-old frat bros. But that's starting to change. I wrote a story last fall about that trend, and we have Britt Doherty, head of human experience for Miller Coors, here to tell us how that's changing and why. About a year and a half ago, we set out to reimagine the role that women play in creating growth for Miller Coors, but it's really... A story that begins even before that, um, big beer brands, big beer companies are in decline, and that's in large part because these big brands have lost volume and share to other parts of total alcohol like wine and spirits. And that's really being driven by the fact that these brands and the, the, these companies have really gotten out of touch with some big shifting consumer dynamics, things like the rise of millennial values, the rise of polyculturalism, the changing uh, ideologies around masculinity and femininity and sexuality and the acceptance of those changes. And so we really knew that we needed to modernize our brands mm -hmm. and our activation. And so we created a team called HX for Human Experience. And this team really studies people and culture and commerce. And they're really about bringing empathy and human understanding into the business. And it was in particular that team that really helped us understand we needed to expand our historical focus on young legal drinking age men and really be much more relevant and inclusive of broader audiences. And so we knew we had to move some of our brands along, you know, a spectrum of inclusion because in our category, at worst, you know, women were alienated and at best they were ignored. And we believed we could do better. That's a pretty tall order, I would think. So I'm curious how, like, where did you guys start and how, how have you seen the marketing toward women and other demographics change? Yeah. Well, I think a great example of how this is changing for us is just taking a look at how our marketing cores light. And really, we set out to do three things. The first is to really debunk some uh, myths that were very ingrained in our category that were preventing us from making some progress in this space. The second thing was getting very clear on what we stand for and the role we play in consumers' lives at a brand level. And then the third thing was just really trying to approach the market in a way that is human and not gendered. You know, when we started this process, we talked to everyone about, you know, why hadn't we made progress in this space already? You know, it seems a little crazy because women drink 17 billion beers every year. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we realized that people kept playing back to us these things that if they were true, were definitely not true now. And, you know, a great example of that is that if you market to women that you would alienate men. And it's just not true for two reasons. One, it forgets, you know, and doesn't acknowledge the changing ideology around masculinity. The second reason it's not true is because no one's making pink drinks anymore. <laughs> That's right. not how you market to women anymore. You know, women see themselves as equal to men. And so why do they need something that is pink or special for themselves? Right. In your time at Miller Coors, how has this changed? Like, how have you seen, even just within the company, the focus on women change and the way you talk about marketing to women? Yeah. 
Well, I, you know, I tell a story about my one of my first days working at Miller Coors, which is, gosh, almost a decade ago. And we sat in a creative review, and uh, they had women, they had women in bikinis in in these advertising ideas that they pitched. And I remember thinking, oh, we can't, we can't do that. Kind of like looking around, <laughs> looking around the room and thinking, okay, you know, somebody's going to say something about this, and no one did. And you know, the longer you get there, the more you realize that it was just because it's the way things had always been done. And you just sort of get in this, you know, routinized, you know, way of working. And it was just sort of time to break that cycle. And so we've actually had to do so much education with not just the people inside our walls at Miller Coors, but all of our partners about what it means to market to women today, what modern versions of masculinity and femininity look like, and how our programs and activation need to change in response to that. So no more bikini-clad ladies in your ads? No. So, I mean, how do you measure results on this? Have you seen more women drinking your products? We have already. It's really, it's it's fascinating. Uh, We've already seen increased volume with women without alienating men. I mean, we are thinking of this as an opportunity through the line. So by being purposeful in our brand building, and our purpose is really about that spirit of determination, and that is non-gendered, and that now has really changed everything we do. Um, From where we place our media, the types of ads that we create, the types of innovation we're thinking about, and really it just has really broadened our opportunity and has created a lot of excitement inside our walls, outside our walls with our partners and with our consumers. Beer may be trying to change, but some industries are still taking a really old-school approach. As a category, guns are typically very masculine. But recently, gunmakers have decided to go after a different demographic. After all, women are 51% of the population. Spoiler alert, they've taken a much less progressive approach. Gunmakers are quite literally making smaller guns with pink and sparkly accents. For as long as I've been covering the gun industry, which, is, which goes back to the mid-1990s, gun companies have been offering smaller firearms, particularly smaller pistols. They have been decorating firearms in ways that they think would appeal to women, often using the color pink or otherwise sort of uh, tricking out guns in a way that they think might appeal to women. You know, if you go into any large gun store, you will see examples of this. But frankly, all of these efforts have not been terribly successful. That's Paul Barrett, our resident gun expert here at Bloomberg and the author of Glock, The Rise of America's Gun. Why is the gun industry looking to attract women? Like, how does this fit into the broader story of how the industry is doing? Sure, well, two reasons. All industries are looking for opportunities for growth. And uh, women are half the population, um, but own only a small fraction of the firearms in this country. So if Uh, gun companies and retailers want to find chunks of the population where they could at least in theory sell someone their first gun, Uh, women would be a natural place to look. A a second reason is a little bit less um, sort of dollars and cents economics and more um, for social reasons. I mean, people who uh, make guns and sell guns want firearms to be normalized, to be not seen as something freakish or at the margin of society. And if you get uh, mom as well as dad to, to own a gun, well, you'll advance that cause as well. 
how long have these companies been making a concerted effort to really attract this group? And and have you watched those efforts evolve? You know, is yeah, it the techniques have stayed relatively the same. I think the uh, the marketing push began in a distinct way uh, in the uh, mid-1990s. Certainly, it was underway by the mid-1990s. Pretty consistently, you've seen gun industry groups like the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the main trade group for the gun industry, will um, release the results, for example, as they recently did, of a survey of gun retailers and include a lot of anecdotes about gun retailers saying, oh, in my store, all kinds of women are coming in and buying guns. But more reliable survey outfits like the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago that annually ask the question of their large body of respondents, do you own a firearm or not own a firearm, who are you, and so forth, find that between 11 and 12 percent of American women say they own a firearm, and that percentage has stayed relatively stable since the 1980s. So I would say that while the industry has been very persistent in trying to sell more to women, there's not a lot of evidence that there's actually a big uh, buying spree among women. Now, that would be qualified slightly in that we're talking about percentages, and gun sales have been very strong for the last four or five years. So it's possible that in absolute terms, some modest number of additional women have gone along with their husbands and bought firearms in the last few years. But it's not a trend that's going to change the economics of the gun industry. And I don't think it's going to change attitudes toward firearms uh, in this country, which are very strong, but I think are not shifting as a result of these efforts to sell to women. So why do you think it is that if it isn't working that well, the gun companies are sticking to this pink it and trinket mentality? Well, I think the gun industry historically is not terrifically imaginative in uh, their marketing efforts. I don't think you'd go to the gun industry to look for the very latest um, Harvard Business School techniques being applied (laughs) to the product. The products, in essence, are very little changed from what they looked like and worked like generations and generations ago. So we were talking to the beer industry earlier, and they said one of the myths that they had to debunk was that by marketing to women, you're going to alienate men. Is that Mm. a fear at all in the gun industry? I don't think so. No, they're not worried about it. I don't think that the presence of a a smaller pistol in a gun store, say a three eighty pistol sitting next to the forty five caliber cannon that that might be A, too big for the typical woman's hand and B, more appealing to a man. I, I don't think that that turns men off particularly. If there are a rack of rifles, I don't think one being decorated with pink or <laughs> with rhinestones stuck on it is going to alienate people terribly. I think if you if a store tried to sell exclusively to women, men would, st- would male uh, gun owners would stay away. But I, I've never gotten the sense that this issue is terribly important at the ground level of firearm sales at all. Mm. I think it's something that trade associations like to talk about, and it's something that people in the industry would love to take advantage of in theory, but in fact, I don't think it's a hugely important issue. Mm. Now, one qualification to that is that hunting organizations have made an effort to involve uh, women and girls in hunting over the last 20, 25 years, I would be confident to guess that hunting remains an overwhelmingly male sport. In addition to the the sale of firearms, I have seen 
some hunting groups make an effort to get mom out with dad and to have dad teach little sis as well as her brother the ins and outs of hunting. Guns and beer are both stereotypically masculine categories. The toy industry as a whole isn't, but it's typically been divided. So pink is for girls, blue is for boys, or girls play with dolls and boys play with chucks. Is that changing? We brought in Matt Townsend, a reporter on our team at Bloomberg News, to help us understand what's happening with gender in the world of toys. Matt covers the major toy makers, including Hasbro and Mattel. It seems like toys are a pretty obvious example of what I think is traditional. You know, Barbies for girls and trucks for boys. What's the historic reasoning? I mean, is that was that always the thing that it was kind of like if we do pink for girls and blue for boys or you can sell more because people have to have different toys? The reasoning is just that's the way retailers and toy makers just always thought of it. Very simply that boys play with trucks and cars and blocks and girls play with dolls and I mean it's basically been that way forever um, until like the past few years there's been some sort of cracks in the dam as far as <clears throat> things changing um, you know one of the big things that happened recently was a year ago Target came out and said we are no longer going to mark our toy aisle boys toys and girls toys they're just going to say it's toys so if you want to go find construction you go down here if you want to go find dolls you go down here want to go to want to go find action figures you go down here it wasn't necessarily here's boys and girls and the response to that was some people liked it i mean liberal-minded people liked it social conservatives didn't um, but what what that has started is more of a conversation and sort of thinking about in the toy industry how can we take a traditional girl's toy or boy's toy and market it to the other sex and you've seen some of that already. Lego, for example, in a big way a couple of years ago, they took Lego, which traditionally is a boy's toy, you think of construction, building things, and they came out with a line focused at girls called Lego Friends. And Hasbro's done something similar with their Nerf brand, where it's, you know, shoot 'em up guns and water guns, and they made a line of bows and arrows that aimed at girls to go out and shoot up stuff. So when these products are aimed at girls, how do they change? I mean, are they just pink? Is that... The products do change a little bit. Um, in, in, in some respects, it's very much making them pinkish or more feminine. You know, I wrote a story last year about uh, Mattel. They came out with a line of action figures for girls, um, which is actually was a first for the toy industry for the most part, uh, based off superheroes like Wonder Woman and Supergirl. And what they did is they basically did a lot of research talking to moms and girls about what kind of things they like to see in, in a line of action figures for girls. And they came away with uh, action figures that are more athletic and not big bosoms and all dolled up like you would see in a traditional boys line. So there are some differences in how you would go about it. But it's but this is just kind of starting. I mean, it's you know it takes a long time for these things to change. These big companies, while they are sort of progressive-minded in some respects, it still takes them a while to make big bets on this. Yeah, something I'm kind of interested in that you sort of touched on is does pink really work better with girls? I mean, is it is there truth to these stereotypes? Are toy companies more successful when they make these products? I think it's like a chicken or the egg type thing. But if you look at all the, I mean, I have a three-year-old daughter. So if you look at all the pink products out there, you, you must think that pink sells. But it's, you know, the sort of argument from the sort of progressive liberal-minded side of this is, well, girls grow up with pink around them. Therefore, they're more predicated to wanting pink things. If they just grew up having all kinds of colors around them, it wouldn't matter. 
But one interesting thing about um, Lego was that when they came out with their line, it was very much, um, it was seen as a success because they were coming out with a line aimed at girls, but it was also criticized because it was a lot of pink. The play sets were like things like going shopping in a mall or sort of traditional stereotypical girls things. It wasn't just here's a line that's maybe a little geared more towards girls, but it's not overtly just like, hey, here's pink. You know, here's something that obviously women like to do or girls like to do. Right. They were like, I remember there was something like a mall and like a hairstyle, like a hair shop and those kinds of things. Yeah. It's interesting. So how does this kind of fit in with the toy industry overall? Like how are these companies doing? The toy makers in general are not doing well. I mean, there's not a lot of growth um, mainly because of electronics, because kids are aging out of toys earlier than ever. Um, so one of the things that I've come across talking to executives at the big toy makers is that they're sort of thinking about we have a really successful brand that is almost you know 90% one gender or the other, so why not try to go after the other gender? And it's just the basic math of if you make a line of Barbie dolls and you're only going after girls, you're canceling out you know, a huge perspective potential market opportunity. So with brands like Thomas the Tank Engine, which is basically this cartoon about a bunch of trains, um, it's mainly seen as a, as a boys brand. But um, Mattel told me that they're actually considering or very much considering ways about how to go after girls. Uh, Hasbro is doing something similar with um, My Little Pony, which is if you watch the show, it's about friendship um, most of the characters are girls, but actually a lot of boys watch the show. So they're saying, well, if lots of boys watch the show, they obviously like it, so why can't we market to them in some way to get them to go out and buy the toys or get their parents to buy the toys? I think you'll see more of this thing where there's taking a traditional boys' brand or girls' brand and going after the other sex. It seems like this is really across industries because we're talking to people from the beer industry and people from the gun industry also, and in both of those categories it's the same kind of thing where it's like we've been going after men forever mm-hmm. what if we go after women too it's it's kind of shocking to me that this is like a revelation like what if we switch and market to everyone instead yeah i guess i mean i think for a lot of companies it just was seen as that was the way we did it that's that's how we got with growth that, that that's our brand but i think you'll see more retailers defining things as not boys and girls but just this is the age category of whether it's clothes or toys or bedding, whatever it is. It's not specifically going to be divided boys and girls. So clearly there's a shift across industries. Some are better at it than others, but everyone is at least acknowledging that women exist as separate consumers. But why now? And are these changes really taking hold? I don't see a huge revolution in the way marketers speak to women. In an age where we have so much ability to target so precisely, I think that there's still two dominant voices. You know, one is speaking to the seductress and one is speaking to the nurturer. That's Melinda Sanna, founder and CEO of consumer insights firm Spark Ideas. For men, I think you see many different um, personas that are targeted in marketing. So I think... um, I think there's a big opportunity for for companies to speak to women in much more precise terms. So are companies missing out? I mean, yes, are people, so. when you're talking with consumers, are people looking for products and they're just not finding things that fit? 
Well, I think people, um, particularly, you know, anyone under the age of 35 has such a sophisticated dial when it comes to tuning in to marketing messages. It's not that they're tuning everything out, but if it's not relevant from the first millisecond, they're on to the next thing. So if a brand is looking to speak to women about a topic that is female relevant, you know, right now they're probably only catching women's attention if it's broadly entertaining, I would say. So it seems like specifically women-focused campaigns at this point aren't really working. Do you think that they can work? Absolutely. And, you know, it's not to say that campaigns that have a lot of money behind them and a loud voice aren't breaking through to some extent. You know, we live in a country that is hyper-sophisticated when it comes to advertising and shaping advertising and brand messages. But I I just feel that 90% of that attention and the research um, and the content development is is geared toward the male sex. And then, you know, sometimes there will be female versions of that. Do you know what I mean? Right. But, but it's not geared toward um, understanding the, the vast number of kind of tribal identities that comprise the female sex. I know you do a lot of work on Instagram and with new kinds of technologies. Do you feel like ads on those newer platforms are better or do you think they're still keeping to the same tropes? I think channels like Instagram and digital channels are probably better than the larger. In fact, you know, the the more fragmented or precise or small the channel is, probably the smarter they are because they have to be, you know, to sort of eke out any kind of success they need to know exactly who their audience is so the chances i think of success are are better with more precise communication channels um so they have the tools also to be highly relevant so if i'm now seeing ads on my instagram feed you know chances are they are very highly relevant to me versus turning on a a television channel they have no idea who i am um, even though they should As a woman who buys things and writes about retail, I can't decide if I'm hopeful after all of this or not. I mean, on the one hand, companies are finally recognizing that women are nuanced consumers. But on the other hand, there's still Bic for her, bedazzled handguns, and pink toolboxes. And like Melinda said, it still feels like ads to women only show two types, the mom and the vixen. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with these products. Women are buying them, and that's okay. But companies are starting to learn that if they want to appeal to female consumers, they need to work a little bit harder with their marketing. The jury's still out on the best way to do that. Some companies are trying to build an inclusive story around brands like Miller Coors says it's trying to do with its beers. Some are acknowledging the need to break down gender norms that are built into the actual stores, like Walmart and Target getting rid of signs separating boys' and girls' toy aisles. And some are finding there's a real opportunity in blurring the lines of gender-specific products, like Hasbro did with its bow and arrow and the female superheroes that Matt talked about. Society is changing, but there's still a long way to go. Women are demanding more from retailers and brands, and companies that ignore women do so at their own peril. With new platforms for advertising like Instagram, Snapchat, and others, maybe the recipe for marketing success is to take sex out of the equation and to market to individuals based on their likes, interests, and crazy Amazon purchases. 
that's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. For more Material World, check out Bloomberg.com or iTunes.com slash Material World. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jenny N. Kaplan and Lindsay's at LC Rupp. You can keep tabs on Miller Coors at Miller Coors, Melinda Santa at Spark underscore in underscore NYC, Paul Barrett at Author P.M. Barrett, and Matt Townsend at Matt underscore Townsend. If you like what you heard and feel so compelled, please rate and review the show. Also, check out our sister podcast, Game Plan, for all the do's and don'ts of office life. We'll be back in two weeks. You've come a long way, baby, to get where you got to today. You've got your own cigarette now, baby. You've come a